Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Food Network Obsessed. Of course, it's the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a guest who is a little different from the rest of our guests we've had on the podcast so far. You're not necessarily watching her every week on Food Network, but you are reading her work. I am talking about Miley Carpenter. She is the editor-in-chief of Food Network magazine and the Pioneer Woman magazine. I am so excited to talk to Miley because, you know, growing up and especially in high school, I, I took an interest in journalism very seriously. I was the photo editor of both my school yearbook and newspaper my senior year. And there was a time where I kind of thought I might go in the path that Miley has has been on her entire career. I obviously chose to go the TV route, but still very passionate about journalism and love hearing from other women in this business who have really made a name for themselves and really kind of blaze their own trail. So I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this interview. But before we get to Miley, I do have some important Food Network obsessed news. We are going to be taking a very brief break from releasing new episodes, but do not worry. I promise we will be back in another week or two with more guests and more fun conversations. So make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. so You do not miss our next new episode. We will miss you guys, but do not worry. We will be back very, very soon. All right, so let's get to Miley. She is the founding editor-in-chief of both Food Network Magazine and the Pioneer Woman Magazine. During her time with the brand, she has launched Food Network Magazine to the top of Adweek's hot list and has been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, New York Magazine, and more. She has both a journalism and a culinary degree and is a two-time James Beard Award nominee. I cannot wait to welcome her to the pod. So without further ado, here's Miley Carpenter. Miley, 
welcome to the pod. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to talk to you because I too have a journalism background and I just love hearing stories of women really thriving in this business. Uh, So we do appreciate you taking the time today. You are the founding editor in chief of Food Network magazine, which launched in 2008. So I guess you could say your baby is becoming a teenager this year. Can you take us all the way back to 2008 and tell us the story of how this magazine came to be. I can. In fact, I had two babies at the same time. I had a real one and the magazine one. So they're growing up together. (laughs) But it was so funny, you know, when when we took this idea out to people, you know, to focus groups, um, everyone was like, where has this been? The Food Network had been around for 15 years at that point. And it was, it was so much a part of their lives and they just didn't have, uh, you know, they wanted another way to interact with it. And I remember going to this focus group and this woman says, we had this whole like fake newsstand up with real magazines and then our prototype. And she uh-huh. walks in and she's like, oh, I love that magazine. I love that. I get that all the time. I was like, no, you don't. You've never <laughs> seen that magazine. But it was like, so it, it made so much sense to them that they couldn't believe it didn't already exist. Let's talk about the the magazine and um, on an issue by issue basis, what the process is, because I always find this super interesting. How far in advance are you determining what's going in in the magazine and also what is going to be on the cover of the magazine? Well, sure. You've always heard these stories about the test kitchens working on turkeys and Christmas cookies in the middle of the summer. And, you know, we're always a little off season. We never really know what holiday it is. (laughs) We're a little confused, (laughs) but we work about three months out. But that said, you know, we're really doing long-term planning too. We've had some, uh, we had Sunny Anderson guest edit an issue last November and we're, uh, Molly Ye is our next big guest editor coming up this fall. So those kinds of projects, we do a really long lead on and, and spend a lot of time thinking about, but you know, some things the test kitchen has to think about a full year ahead of time, because if they're testing summer desserts made with summer fruit, they have to think about those a full year ahead. So we're, we're all messed up schedule. wise. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about, you know, a guest editor. What, what does that really mean? And, and what does that involve? Well, we didn't even know it was the first time we had done it last year and, and Sunny called and it was like, it was the best call I ever got, you know, in, in this job. It was such a great idea. It was the perfect time for it. And it was our November issue, which is the biggest of the year. And we were like, let's just go for it. And Sunny truly guessed it. I mean, I'm sure different magazines differ and maybe some are, you know, just only in name, but she was in there. Like she was picking images and writing captions and headlines and she planned the whole issue with us. So, so it's very involved. I hope Molly's up for it. That's awesome. I could totally see uh, Sunny just, you know, diving in full speed ahead and, and, and really getting involved. As far as, you know, deciding on the, on the covers, I've heard that you kind of have two options that you have planned out for each each issue and there's kind of a alpha beta test to to see what makes the cut. Is that is that an accurate statement? Uh, it sort of depends. I mean, sometimes we'll have three or four options. Sometimes we're like, oh dear, we got out of that shoot. And we have like one, one that <laughs> just have to work. But you know, it's it's always it's tricky to figure out what'll what'll sell on the cover. And we study it like crazy people. We look at, at we've learned all these things over the years about little things that make the, the sales drive up or down. This is a funny one. Like the word dips will help sell an issue, but the appetizers won't. Hmm. Dips sound more fun. Appetizers sound more serious little things like exclamation points can kind of hurt your sales. <laughs> it's it's really? really like weird things. But um, but in terms of the food, you know, we like it to be something somewhat familiar, but with like a little bit of an interesting twist. You know, it's 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 always tricky to figure out what'll work. I heard that kale soup was the oh worst God. selling 
ever cover. Oh my God. What, what, what went wrong there? <laughs> I remember going into my boss's office. It was like, you know, 2015 was like the year of kale, right? Everyone was uh-huh. like obsessed with kale. And I was like, look, America loves kale. I think it's going to be huge on the cover. And we made this soup that looked like green sludge. And I brought it there and she's like, I don't know. I was like, trust me, this is going to be, it was January. I was like, everyone wants something healthy for January. I mean, it bombed so spectacularly and she let us do it. She let us make the mistake. A couple months after that, we did this cupcake with sprinkles all over it and it sold like twice as many copies as the kale soup. So, (laughs) you know, a lot of times we've learned in research that people will say, when you ask them, like, do you want to be healthier? They'll always say yes. But then when they have to go buy an issue, they buy the one with the cupcake on it, not the one with the kale soup. So I mean, I can't really blame them, but it, it is interesting to, to kind of have that trial and error and, and figure it out along the way. Um, do you have a favorite issue or cover after all these years? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. They're like babies, right? I'm supposed to love them. I do not love them all. There are some I look at and I still get stressed out. Like, why on earth did we do that? That was such like, a terrible idea. Oh my God. Well, one time we did this holiday cover that looked so sad. It was like, like a, we were going for like this woodland theme. And so all Uh the trees were brown and it was like on this evergreen background. And it was the saddest looking holiday cover you could ever, I don't know what we were thinking. We've done some weird ones, but you know, the ones that are my favorites are these ones that just look like you could grab them and eat them like cinnamon rolls and, you know, big burgers. We actually, um, we put Ina, that's the only time we ever put a, a person on the, co- like a, we put the stars heads on the cover at the, mm-hmm. usually at the top, but this time we actually had like a full body, um, cover with Ina. So that was fun to do just for something different. You're really good friends with Ina as well. Um, how did that friendship kind of develop? She's the loveliest. I mean, we, <laughs> the first time we went to shoot at her place, I was, I walked in, I was, you know, of course I'm super stressed out about shooting at Ina's barn and what's it going to be like? I'm sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I was like, literally, I feel like I'm sitting in an episode of her. She's testing caramels for her line. She's like testing caramel sauce or something separate from what we were shooting. She's got the doors open. There's like lavender in the garden. And there's like, she's like, would you like some fresh orange juice? And I just made coffee. And then I kid you not, this neighbor stops by. She has this giant straw hat on and like a bouquet of flowers just to like say hi to, and I was like, oh my God, I'm literally <laughs> in it. I felt like I was being punked. I was like, I'm in an episode of Barefoot Contessa right now. <laughs> like it was too good to be true, but she has turned out to just be like exactly what you see. She's, you know, I just really love working with her and we've been around 13 years now. So it's been a while and we've had a chance to get to know each other. I'm so glad when I I hear that from people that it's just the same person that you see on television. She seems so lovely, so fun. I would love to be a part of that shoot in the future. So if you ever need, you know, just like a a production assistant, (laughs) um, I'm there. But what about the story of of the shoot with her and Taylor Swift? Because that seems like it it was pretty amazing as well. It's it's an unlikely (laughs) pair, right? We were, you know, she has this great music mix. Every time we shoot there, she was always playing really fun music. And we noticed that she played a lot of Taylor Swift. And so my coworker at the time was like, hey, let's just, I heard, I think Taylor Swift is also an Ina Garten fan. Obviously, Ina likes Taylor. Let's see if we can get them together. And Taylor was just so excited about the idea of meeting Ina that she really wasn't supposed to be doing any press, but she really, she wanted to meet Ina and agreed to come out. And it was the cutest thing. She drove out with her mom and her brother. 
And so it was like a little family meeting and I was barn and it was just like no fanfare. It was really a fun day. That sounds like a dream. What was it like kind of seeing the interaction between the two? Because it, it sounds like Ina was obviously a fan of Taylor and vice versa. And they're huge stars, you know, themselves as well. You know, it was, it was sheer admiration on both sides. So it was so nice to see because Ina really admires Taylor Swift for not just her music, but just the way, you know, she's just such a, a great person and her messaging is great. And so they talked a lot about, you know, their mutual experience and with stardom and, you know, fans and they had, you know, they have more in common than you think. And it was very fun to sort of step back, but it was, it was sweet. They were all just kind of fans of each other. Um, Obviously you get to work, you know, with all sorts of different people, different stars. I I heard that Bobby Flay styled his own burger for, for his burger cover. How did that process kind of like unfold? We were shooting, it was only our third cover and we were having Bobby stop by to shoot him for the inside of the issue and we it was just meant to be a portrait so we had like a bunch of shirts for him and he comes in and we're in the middle of styling the cover burger which is his burger and our stylist had everything out and she had you know we had a whole team of people prop stylist food stylist ready to go and Bobby's like we were having a hard time honestly like we couldn't get the cheese to look great it was like not melting great he's like let me back there our poor food stylist, she steps back and she's like, oh my God, oh my God. And he steps in and I am not kidding, in two seconds, just nailed it. Like made the burger, put the cheese on. He's like, here's how you want to melt it. Brought it over to the set and that was it. And that was our cover. What did he do differently than the than the food stylist was? You know, I don't remember exactly. You know, I think part of it is that like, sometimes you're just so bogged down in the details and so obsessed about, so worried about getting every little piece right that, you know, you don't like let loose a little bit and he can do the stuff in his sleeve. So he just very comfortably walks by. And I think we were probably spending too much time on it, honestly. And, you know, food can, what we say, food can die on set. Like it can Mm -hmm. just start looking not alive anymore. And I think we were spending too much time and he just like whipped it up, brought it over and it looked like a hot melty cheeseburger. And that was it. Something that you would want to grab off the cover, like you said, right? (laughs) Well, you mentioned, you know, the test kitchen team and then the food stylist. And I think those jobs are just obviously so important, clearly in what you guys do, what everything the Food Network does, right? You, You really rely on these people to make the food pop and make it be something that people really want to eat and kind of like grab through the page or the the screen. Can you tell us a little bit just about, you know, what you've observed as far as how they make this magic happen? I mean, the test kitchen team is unbelievable. I've just never worked with a team like this. They are I mean, obsessed is the right word about getting things right. And you think about it when you read a magazine or find a recipe anywhere, you know, I feel like you have a chance to maybe fail someone once and that's it. And then they, you know, they're buying ingredients and spending money on things. And if you fail them, they're not going to come back to you. So test kitchens are just obsessed with getting it right. And they will test and test and test and test until they get it right. I mean, I feel for them through the past year and what it's been like to work in, you know, at work at home. It's completely changed the way everybody works. But in the craziest way, I feel like there have been some great things that have come out of it. And if you think about working in a big test kitchen where you have a support team and people who can help you grocery shop and, you know, food shoppers and dishwashers and Um, a big team. And then suddenly everyone in the test kitchen was thrown into, well, basically they became the reader immediately, right? So you're dealing with like the same problems we all have, like, ah, I don't have a pan for that. Like you don't have a prop closet and a a big equipment, you know, shelf to (laughs) grab whatever you want. So they were suddenly like, oh, okay, I feel for people. This is like, I don't want to wash all these dishes. So I'm going to make this a lot easier. And so we have heard stories that there have been uh, as hard as it is to develop at home and really function like a test kitchen 
working at home, there are some good sides too. What, what do you think the biggest challenges were during this time? You know, adjusting working from home like we all have over the last year. But not only that, I mean, you're putting out, you know, this this massive magazine, you know, uh, on a very regular basis. As a team, what was, would you say the biggest challenge? I mean, this is true. I'm sure you feel the same way um, doing what you do. It was I think the hardest part was predicting how America would feel a few months from now because things are changing every minute. And mm. I mean, God, writing an ed letter for those issues was just torture because like, I don't know, like how, how much worse is it going to be? Are people going to be happy? Are they going to be sad? I mean, we would rewrite cover lines over and over again because we had, and I, I, I feel terrible about this to this day, but we put out an issue before anything like before the shutdown and it said something like it was like a sheet cake will solve all your problems or something something like that and I was like (laughs) like no it will not solve all your problems (laughs) not at all (laughs) um so it was like a little totally off when it finally hit. Thank goodness nothing was worse than that. But that was the hardest part for me personally and in my job was to kind of try to constantly guess how we were going to feel. I would imagine that's that's tough, like no matter what times that we're going through, but especially during, you know, the pandemic. How do you guys kind of think that far ahead, you know, predicting what the the food trends are going to be a couple of months ahead of time? Because like you said earlier, you have to you really have to plan that out at least two, three months uh, before the issue actually hits newsstand. Yeah. I mean, I would have said, and this is true before all this happened, just a lo- like a lot of eating out, a lot of food shopping, you know, constantly going to stores just to remind ourselves what's on the shelf and what's available. And you discover new things all the time. But of course, we're all dealing with not being able to do that. And so it's just kind of obsessively reading and paying attention and then paying attention to ourselves and the way we cook. I mean, all of this changed the way we cook during the past year, right? I mean, not only were we doing it constantly, but um, we learned things about ourselves. So I think a lot of it this past year was just kind of tapping into that and realizing like, how, how are we solving problems at home with our own kids? And how can we translate that to the magazine? What are some of the food trends that you think we can still expect to see this year or maybe things that will pop up, you know, as, as the months go on? I mean, what we've found, and I think everyone I've talked to, this is true, is that everyone has created like a little bit of a culinary compound at home and these little projects that they wanted to become expert in, you know, I became obsessed with like finally learning how to steam milk properly for a latte. My husband came obsessed with pizza and baking. Of course, we know baking just went through the roof. What was really nice is that we just did a big study on, well, it was on all generations, but it was, we studied different generations and the way they're cooking and specifically through the pandemic. And we found um, millennials and Gen Z, well, one, were kind of thrown into cooking in a way they never expected to be. Suddenly a whole generation of people were kind of forced to cook a lot. But the best part that came out is that they actually really liked it. And like, it was a really, I think it was, 80 some percent said they're going to keep cooking at close to the pace they've been cooking because they really liked it. So there could be like a weird upside to this happening because I think a lot of people who wouldn't have cooked constantly suddenly did and loved it. Yeah. And speaking of that younger generation, not only were they cooking more, they were sharing those those experiences and those recipes on, on TikTok and other social media platforms What are your thoughts on just the way that those food trends kind of take off from a TikTok video? Like, I I mean, obviously, I think of, you know, the the feta pasta or the tortilla trend or things like that. What are your thoughts uh, on those and and how they affect the food trends? Well, it's funny not to be too geeky about it, but like, you know, they seem like these goofy things that are going to come and go. But I I feel like they're grounded in real trend, like real cultural trends. Right. So like the pancakes the tiny little, you know, pancakes <laughs> here thing. That seems ridiculous, but it's not like people were 
suddenly home for breakfast. They had time on their hands. They were sitting down and enjoying breakfast in a way they never did. And so, you know, breakfast sales are crazy and Dutch babies. and So you can often tie them to like other bigger trends. I feel like cloud bread, you know, with the baking, yeah. the baking trend. I think they're not as sort of silly and one-off as they seem. How do you guys approach uh, those specific trends um, with the magazine? I mean, some of them stick and some of them don't. And so I guess we have to be really careful about which ones are going to stick around. Again, we're the reader. So we're trying these at home. And like, of course, we're going to garden focaccia. That's so awesome. We have to do that. And sometimes we worry about feeling a little bit late, but I don't think that's the case because I think so many people either missed it or saw it for a second and still wanted to try it. And, you know, we were talking about that the other day, like, is it, can we still talk about Dalgona coffee or is that gone already? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's delicious. If everybody likes it, I don't think it's, it's wrong to talk about it still. I think it's fun. I think it, I've, I've been asked about that as well. And I think that anything that can get people excited about cooking and, and doing it at home and kind of exploring those things that maybe they, they hadn't done before. I, you know, it, it all goes in the, in the same positive direction of more people getting excited about cooking. And obviously, if there's more people excited about cooking, they're they're going to be more likely to, to pick up the magazine, p- potentially. I, I guess that's only a good thing all around for, for Food Network magazine. Miley has even more great stories to tell about some of your favorite Food Network stars. That's coming up next. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to talk a little bit more about some of your memorable moments with some of the Food Network stars. You know, we talked about Ina and Bobby Flay. um, And I heard you ran into Guy Fieri in in Times Square (laughs) at one point. What was that story? 
I mean, I cannot say I, you had a great podcast with Guy. I loved listening to him. Oh, it just reminded you. me of what a lovely person he is. And I've always loved Guy and he is, uh, you know, off camera, such a just caring, a really caring person. And if so many times has helped me out on a shoot or just been great to work with, but he had just opened Guy's American Kitchen and Bar, I think it was called, in, um, in Times Square. And we, you know, we were excited about it at the office and we're like, hey, let's go down and like get some chicken wings and some fun stuff thinking and we were laughing like wouldn't it be so funny if guy was there i think of course he's not cooking in like his restaurant in times square right now i'm sure he's at home in california whatever so we go and we we walk downstairs and we're we're this giant sign that says flavor town and we're like having a good time i look up and in the downstairs kitchen i'm like that looks just like guy I'm like, there's no way he's cooking. There's no way he's cooking. And and sure enough, I walk over closer and it's like, hi. And I and I sort of wave to him. And this woman comes up to me and she's like, you can't go back there. And I was like, oh, I just want to say hi. You know, we, we know him. We work with him. And she's like, no, no, no. He's doing a make-a-wish. And I was Aww. like, oh my gosh, of course he is. And again, no fanfare, no anything. And he came out afterwards and had a nice conversation with us about what he had just done and how he was, he's like, you know, I always include the siblings when I do this because I care as much about the siblings are going through something too. And anyway, it was just like a reminder of what a great person he is. Here we are being silly and thinking, oh, what's the, what are the chances he's in his kitchen? And of course he was. Listening to him talk about, you know, everything that he's done for the, the restaurant industry, especially over the last year, that does not surprise me uh, one bit. So I, I love hearing these stories. Are there any other Food Network stars that you spend time with outside of work? Gosh, I'm trying to, I mean, we've had so many. I feel like when I look back, I'm embarrassed of some of the shoots, we've things we've made them, you know, we ask them to do crazy things. We're like, can you carve a pumpkin? Can you do this? Can you like wear this crazy outfit? And they're, <laughs> they are always, they're always game and um, willing to work with us. Thank goodness. <laughs> well, speaking of which, you're also the editor in chief of Pioneer Woman Magazine, which launched uh, in 2017. How did that project come to be? Well, you know, we were watching Re, and she was just exploding on the network, and um, and we were there was a lot of talk about like could she have a magazine too, and it's gone crazy. I mean, she's so popular and. You know, when you look at the common thread with the people like Ina and Ree, it's just they're really authentic. Like the mm-hmm. more you get to know them, you're like, yep, that's the real deal. Like <laughs> we, you know, fly out to Oklahoma to do these shoots and she is living that life. It's not, there's, there's nothing about that is fake. She'd have to wrap up a shoot to go catch a football game and then get food for the boys. And like it was, <laughs> she's she's really doing it. it. That one was particularly interesting. It's the same production team shooting Ree's show as Ina's show. And they're so oh. different, you know, so this team, Team, uh, who uh, would come over from England and shoot in the Hamptons with Ina and then would come out and shoot, you know, on this ranch in the middle of Oklahoma. So it was it was always fun to hear their stories. I actually followed um, Ree's blog like before she became a Food Network star. So it's it's been really fun to kind of see that that evolution, because um, as you mentioned, she is so beloved and it's good to hear that she is also very authentic. What is it like working so closely with her just on a personal level? She's much as I was talking about Sunny doing the, the issue. She's very involved, you know, and she has has a, such a clear brand. This was true with Food Network too. I think sometimes it's, you know, there's one thing to create a magazine from scratch, but when the brand exists and it's really like a strong brand and it's almost harder because there are all these expectations. Like we had all these refans who knew like exactly what they wanted in a magazine and we just kind of had to figure it out. So um, I, I hope we, I hope we did right by them, but it's fun to work with her. It's so different, you know, and Food Network will often shoot food. Like when we started the magazine, we wanted to kind of get rid of a lot of the props. 
it was all about the food. So we would shoot on white plates and shoot it all in focus. So you wouldn't have these kind of old fashioned images of like candles in the background and wine glasses and all kinds of stuff. It was just meant to be like clean and all about the food. And then when we launched Reese, I mean, if you follow her, you know, she is just like layers and layers of patterns and fabric, like colors and stripes and polka dots. And like, you know, she's like, I don't like white space. And, you know, Food Network, we have, you know, a lot of things are shot on white. So it was a really fun visual exercise to switch gears between Food Network and Pioneer. That sounds like very fun, but it also sounds like a lot of work. I mean, you're the editor-in-chief of two different major magazines. What was your experience with journalism or print media that kind of pointed you in this direction? I started newspapers, but I kept asking to work in the food department wherever I was working. I was like, will you <laughs> let me write a food story? Will you let me do this? And finally, I was working at, at Time Inc. in New York, and they had a, they would help you pay for schooling. I was like, I'm going to have them help me pay for culinary school. So that's kind of how those two came together. But I feel like it's a gift to be able to do something you love. You know, we all work really hard, but if you love what you're doing, as I'm sure you do, it's just, it's like a different story. Absolutely. And you can hear that, uh, that excitement and that passion in your voice too, as you, as you talk about your babies. Um, and I know in every magazine, every issue of every magazine, there's a, a star diary where a Food Network star essentially gives their kind of day in the life account. So we thought it'd be fun to kind of flip the script on you. What does a typical day in your life look like as editor in chief of two magazines? Uh, well, it is not Devil's Wears product. <laughs> I'm not throwing my coat on anybody's desk. <laughs> I'm like, I often think I'm like, what am I doing? Especially during quarantine, I'm like, I'm like on our porch, like in a coat and gloves. I'm like food styling because we don't have anyone to shoot. And like my brother-in-law is shooting a story. It was like, I was like, anything we could do to get stories shot, and I'm like. This is not glamorous. We are often doing crazy things. I mean, I've always kind of worked, everyone on the staff works that way. Everybody's kind of up for anything, but it's not the, the glamorous, you know, job that you you might think. What What is your favorite part about your job? I love seeing the finished issue come together because, you know, we take it from idea to like seeing it in print and being able to touch something is really, is really fun for me. I mean, I love meeting the talent and talking to them about ideas. But I, we're, the sad part is this past year has been so hard because it's fun to be in an office of creative people, you know, and have people bringing food in and talking about food all day and I mean, that's what we would talk about food all day. I remember we <laughs> we hired a woman one time and six months later she came in and she's like, it's just too much. Like I can't talk about food all day long. I was like, I'm sorry, that's what we do. But um, you know, that's if, if you're if you're down with it, it's it can be pretty fun. What would your advice be to any young, you know, aspiring female journalists out there, maybe dressing as editor in chief for for their own career day? What what advice would you give them? Oh my gosh, it's so hard now because media is changing so fast. But if, again, I would come back to like, if you love what you're doing, then you'll always want to do it. So, I mean, I've been, inter I've interviewed people and I can tell in the interview that they don't, they just want a job. They don't want this job. And I remember I interviewed for a job who's a very serious and earnest and kind of didn't feel like me. And uh, and we can talk ourselves into things. I think a lot of people talk themselves into jobs they think they want. And it, it's hard to, to not do that. But I think if you can find a way to not do that and make sure you're loving what you're doing all day, you'll be in a better place. You mentioned your letters from the editor. And, and obviously, it, it was tough to write them during uh, the pandemic. But you, you've done 
hundreds of these over the years. It kind of feels like this introductory love letter for each issue. So how how do you approach writing each one of those? I mean, every issue, I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. Like, I'm done. I don't have any more ideas. <laughs> I think this was the last one. I'm like, can we come up with a new rubric, like something else that I don't have to write? <laughs> um, but no, it is. Um, I think in the beginning, I was a thought this had to be like, explain everything that's in the issue. And that just kind of started getting boring. I was like, forget it. I'm just going to tell one story that relates to something in the issue. And I think because I live the life that we're doing, it would be a different story if I were editing a magazine about something I, I didn't live every day, but it's kind of my life. And inevitably, I have some ridiculous story that I can <laughs> I can retell. And sometimes it's just a little behind the scenes. because We have readers who've been with the magazine for a really long time. And sometimes it's fun just to talk about putting um, spaghetti and meatballs on the cover for a first time and why that was a big deal for us. Because normally that seemed like such an ordinary dish to stick on the cover, but it's what we all need right now. You know, we just need some comfort and to know everything's going to be okay. Yeah, we need we need that big pasta hug, um, as I like to say. Uh, well, speaking of behind the scenes, um, let's go behind the scenes of your everyday life. Aside from, you know, being this, you know, powerful editor in chief of two magazines, looking at your Instagram, it seems like you're always baking with your daughters. Um, and obviously your husband, Wiley, is a chef. I would I'd imagine that, that the girls are, are are foodies as well, just in their blood. Uh, what's your favorite thing to bake or cook together? Okay. They are not, they are like terribly, they're pick- no, they're terribly <laughs> picky eaters. This is like, this is just killing Killing my husband. He's like, what did I do wrong? I mean, they're getting slightly better, but really not. Um, And I mean, this would just horrify you. We are just pandemic aside, even before then, we were getting like, we were ordering meal kits which is absurd. Like, can we really no. not get dinner on the table on our own? Like I, I, I'm trained, he's trained, but we just had no time. We we're like, okay, if we want to sit together, we'll get meal kit. But Wiley kept taking the meal kit and like not following the direction. So he would just <laughs> use it as like a grocery shipment. I'm like, what, what are you doing with this? this is not what you're supposed to do with this kit. And so we gave up on that. We stopped doing the meal kits, but you know, we're, we do what everyone else does. Sometimes we just do like Trader Joe dumplings or takeout or whatever. It's like, we're not cooking every night, but I, I mean, we do cook a few nights a week and it's just every night gets hard. Yeah. No. I mean, what's, what's your go-to takeout when you guys do uh, order in? We live next to this place called Thai Villa that is just, uh, it's so good. And then Wiley's become obsessed with pizza. So I used to love ordering pizza. That was like our night off, but now he's making pizza all the time. We can't order it anymore. So (laughs) so that that joy's gone. It's been replaced by the homemade pizza. I can identify with that. I never got into the, the, the banana bread or the sourdough baking, but I started making some homemade pizza as well. Probably not as much as Wiley uh, it sounds like he's he's very involved in that. But that was my version of uh, banana bread or sourdough during uh, during quarantine. I, I highly uh, support that. Another question I wanted to ask you as I was coming across, you know, different articles and things uh, preparing for this interview, uh, you had this uh, mantra about having a personal brand and identifying that purpose and having, you know, a bumper sticker phrase that describes your brand in four or five words. And of course, Food Network magazines is Cook Like a Star, uh, which has been printed on the spine of every single issue. So I'm curious, what would your personal bumper sticker phrase be? This is so hard. I was like, um, honk if you love food. <laughs> I love that. I like, I, but then I thought, I was like, that's ridiculous. But then maybe it's not because it is kind of, you know this, because you're in this world. 
food people kind of find each other and it's yes. like, you know, and, and you can relate to each other. So if you had a bumper sticker honk, if you love food, you'd find all the other food people. And <laughs> that's the best I could do. I don't know. I like that one. I like that one a lot. I think in New York, it'd be kind of hard though. Cause you know, somebody might just be honking at you and you don't oh, know. Yeah. No, you'd get, you'd get like a honking violation or something. Yeah, exactly. I know. I was trying to think of what mine would be. And uh, it's a hard, it's hard. It's like hard to sum up your life or your, your personal uh, brand in, in just a, a few words. I'm, I was going to go with one tough cookie. Oh, that's a good one. But I feel like it's always changing. So I, and I think that's okay. You know, yeah, you can change your bumper sticker. Uh, well, this has been so much fun. Uh, but I did want to ask you one final question that we ask uh, all of our guests here on Food Network Obsessed. And that would be what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner and dessert. And there, by the way, there's no rules. Uh, you can time travel. You can just regular travel, what, whatever you want to do. I mean, Wiley's been making a scrambled egg pizza. It sounds weird. It's so what? It's so good. Um, It's very, it's new, but I would say that would be my breakfast. My go-to lunch, no matter where I am, I make feel-good lunches, tomato soup and grilled cheese, like anywhere, anytime. Then if I could travel, I mean, well, dinner, can I just say literally any restaurant on earth? I mean, I just don't, I just want to eat out. We haven't eaten out (laughs) in like nine months and I'm losing my mind about it. I miss it so, I mean, it's so close to Wiley's heart and our life Mm -hmm. and it's just, I miss it a lot. So I would go to any restaurant (laughs) if I could just have someone else cooking food for me. That would be great. And dessert. um, I am a kindred spirit of yours in that I hate mint ice cream, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Thank you for validating. God, I heard you say that. I was like, yes, I know exactly (laughs) what you mean. So literally anything but that. <laughs> anything but that. Okay. Okay. That That's totally fair. And it sounds like a, a perfect uh, food day, a, you know, very, you know, comfort food. You got some home cooked food in there. You've got some restaurant food as well. And uh, obviously spending time uh, with your family, which I, I can see through your Instagram and, and your, your words that, that is very important to you as well. Thank you so much for giving us kind of just this peek into your life. I think it's um, super interesting and so fun uh, to hear all the behind the scenes. So thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. I have always wondered what goes on behind the scenes at a major magazine, especially Food Network magazine. And I really enjoy going inside Miley's world today. And I hope you did, too. And who knows? Maybe you'll see me in a future issue of the magazine. So be on the lookout. And for more of Miley and Food Network magazine, be sure to pick up an issue today on newsstands everywhere. As always, thanks so much for listening. And don't forget, we are taking a brief break, but we will be back in a week or two. So make sure you are following us wherever you listen to podcasts so you do not miss a single thing. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review. We love when you do that. That's all for now. We will catch you foodies next time on Food Network Obsessed.